Welcome to uh, Blue Collar Startup, everyone. Uh, each episode here, we interview blue collar business owners, managers, staff members, and everyone uh, involved in getting the job done from a day-to-day uh, standpoint. Our purpose here is to educate and empower the next generation of blue collar business owners. Uh, and of course, you know, we want to take uh, just a couple of quick moments here and give a big shout out to our sponsor, uh, Michael, Luke Michaels from the Michaels Group. Uh, recently came on board to help us support the cause and really grateful and appreciative of uh, who they are and what they do. And uh, But uh, we'll talk a little bit more about them later on. But uh, for now, let's get started. I'm your co-host, Mike Nelson, here with visionary and founder of the Blue Collar Startup, Derek Foster. Derek, how are we doing? Hey, Mike, I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm much better. Uh, you know, for those of you listening, you don't know, there's we had a, a little technical hiccup uh, getting started today. So we're a little, uh, you know, kind of throwing off our game a little bit, but we're bouncing up, bouncing back. So um, it seems to happen before every meeting that I'm involved in. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why, you know, it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man, but we'll figure it out. And, uh, but I'm recording for my, you know, we're, so we're on a, a team's call. I was gonna say zoom, but we're on teams, which is not how we normally roll. But, um, the funny part is I'm in my kitchen and Derek and, our guest, Eric, are uh, at my office. <laughs> you couldn't make it. We couldn't make it. Make it up if we tried. I know. I know. That's great stuff. So uh, the joys of all the things that we do. So, but we're we're joined today here. We're with uh, Eric Myers. Uh, Eric, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks. And, and uh, Eric, you actually are working with Derek over at uh, Dale Cleaning. That's correct. Yes, sir. And what, uh, tell us a little bit about what you're doing for Derek over there. Uh, so I fill the position of his director of operations. Uh, so basically his right hand when it comes to operations in the field, and then also creating processes to help bring his vision to basically data points and accountability um, to help us make better decisions to grow the company. And how did, how did you, how did you fall in with Derek? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting story. So why do you say it like that, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> well, I was gonna. I was gonna say it was like, I did follow Derek of all people, man. Like, geez. honestly, it's very, uh, it's very similar to this setup that we have going on here today. So uh, you know, I, I just give you, I give you broad strokes, right? Uh, you know, I, I was born in Lackawanna, raised in Cobusco, uh from the age of three, uh, and then I joined the military and. Uh, I did 20 years there. I retired from the military as a senior chief with the U.S. Navy Seabees. And then uh, I started working for a high-end luxury residential electrical contractor in the Los Angeles area. Um, and anybody that's been in L.A. for a long period of time and works knows that, uh, you know, you kind of get sick of it after a little while. So I was tired of uh, not seeing trees and tired of breathing in the smoke from the fires, although we did have it here last week from Canada. Uh, so I decided, you know, it was time to uh, to come back to New York. Um, so I started looking for jobs on Indeed. I saw a post. I uh, applied for it and I got a request for an interview and I wound up doing interviews with Derek while I was sitting in my truck at job sites. Um you know, and then made a trip out and met him, make sure it was going to be a good fit. And then uh, I started here in August of 21 with okay. Derek. So I'm going on two years now. Yeah. So it must be it stuck then. 
Yeah, Almost. yeah, uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. Uh, you know, I'm a little biased in my opinion because it's my opinion, but uh, I think the company's doing well. We're moving in the right direction. Uh, we've seen quite a bit of growth um, and quite a bit of organization brought to the vision that Derek and Michelle have. Yeah, yeah, now, and so uh, let me ask you. You know, obviously, from uh, you're coming from 20 years in the military. Thank you for your service, by the way. Um, Thank you. And then you know. I have to assume that that helps you with your role at Daigle Cleaning. It does. Um, you know, there's, there's this, how do how do you quantify 20 years of, of doing something? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The interesting thing was, you know, it, it was very, still very blue collar, right? It was construction all day, every day, multiple yeah. projects and things like that. But really once you get to a certain point in your career in the military, once you, once you cross the line into what we would call the chief's mess in the Navy, um, it's a lot different. It's all about management. It's all about organization. It's more about people. So, you know, those skills are invaluable that you get to hone and practice, you know, leading very diverse groups of people, not only Americans, but foreign countries and domestic and partners and things like that in, uh, in operations really gets you in a different mindset when it comes to how you look at situations and operations. So what, what can you kind of tell, you know, uh, me or anyone listening, uh, you know, like explain that, like dive into that a little bit, like what is the difference in perspective or how you're viewing, like, how does that, what does that look like or sound like? So, you know, from a diversity aspect of it is you're, you're dealing with people where English is not their primary language. So how do you bridge that gap? And again, you know, as Americans, we're always so used to everything has to be a certain way for us because that's our social norm, like uh, the personal space bubble. Like that doesn't exist anywhere other than in America. Right? When you yeah. go to other countries, everybody is like right in your space all the time. It's it's pretty interesting. It's funny to see um, when people haven't experienced that before when they travel abroad. Um, but just dealing with, you know, the simplest thing like that is the language barrier, um, yeah. the cultural differences, the social norms, uh, making sure you, you don't overstep, you know, or offend anybody, you know, in different countries, Different things mean different things, right? A thumbs up here is okay, but somewhere else, you know, it means something completely different. So, yeah. you know, just learning all those little intricacies, you know, is is valuable. And uh, it really, it helps you to humble yourself and be open to learning diversity and dealing with different types of people in different types of situations. And so on, is that like understanding that people are not like – everybody's different from each other. So like you can't manage any two people the same way. Like some people are going to be motivated differently or structured differently or deal with, deal with structure differently. How do yeah. you apply that, I guess. Well, you know, it's pretty interesting because I've, I've been listening to some of your guys' podcasts and, and you, all of the people that you're talking to are basically saying a lot of the same things, right? I just Absolutely. want somebody that's going to show up, have a positive attitude and be ready to go to work. Right. So yeah. the psychology of that, right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I didn't invent these things. They're they're out there, right? So really what you're talking about is a situational leadership model, which is basically every situation needs a different type of leadership, right? So if you have somebody that comes in and they are brand new, but they're enthusiastic, right? They can be led, they can be taught. That's how you lead that person. And then you have people that have been here for a little while and they know what needs to be done. They don't want to be micromanaged. So if you take the same aspect of trying to teach them how to do something they already know how to do, you're going to get 
usually a negative result, right? People don't want to be micromanaged if they know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. So if you use that situational leadership model and tailor it to every individual, yes, you're 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 using a different tool every time, but you're going to get better results individually from people that you lead. Interesting. So, and now, now is this something that they, that like they teach you guys in the military? Is that, or is this just something that you come across on your own? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, from basically from the time, I'll go all the way back here, time machine, right? So from about, (laughs) from about 1999, 2000, up until actually two years before I retired, I was taking consistent leadership courses, right? It starts with what we would call petty officer indoc. So this is where you start to learn how to deal with people in situations, right? Right. And, and manage operations at the same time. Um, Because you can't remove that human factor. People are the people that are doing the work right now. So, you know, machinery is easy. People are are what complicates things. Um, So, you know, from that point all the way through until 2014, 15, um, I attended the Senior Leadership Academy at the Naval War College in Rhode Island, um, which was a great course, very eye-opening, a very high-level, more executive-level leadership type stuff. Mm and and just constantly having that in the background. Now, just because you sit in a classroom doesn't make you a great leader. You have to you have to get out and apply it. Um, yeah, there's and, knowledge and there's application of that knowledge. And they're right, but you know, you measure your successes by by your failures as well. Yeah. So. Yeah. And Mike, I don't want to, I don't want to cut you off, but it, it's just, it, it's interesting because, you know, those skill sets and especially in the trades, right? It's all about learning the actual trade itself and being able to have the skills to do the work. But then you add on that other element where a lot of the trade, I mean, the majority of them, you know, and that's a nice part about the security of them is the work is always going to be there. You, you can't have a robot go up and put shingles on a roof. I mean, right. it's not there yet. Not yet. No. So, you know, a lot of these principles that, you know, Eric is talking about and they're they're very effective and they're very applicable uh, to the trade specifically, especially for you know people just starting out or hire their first employee, you know, um, very valuable stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody is good at something. Right. The, the magic in it is finding out what they're good at. Right. And is that something that you can use and leverage within your organization? And how do you do that? And then, of course, at the end of that, what's it going to cost me? (laughs) Right. Because everything comes at a price uh, when you're talking about small businesses. So, you know, you're always looking for that that eager person that has the right commitment level and wants to learn. And you put them in the position, you know, at at a lower rate as much as possible so you can train them and get them where you want them to be uh, you invest in them they show loyalty to you you show loyalty to them and you promote them um, and that's kind of the model that we've started to create at uh, Daigle Cleaning Systems is now we have all of our managers and supervisors are pretty much being promoted from within because now we have kind of an established organizational line of leadership so now their opinions and their training and the way that they're mentoring now affects the future of the technicians and the employees. I love it. So, so let's kind of back up a little bit. So you, you, you take the job, you come out here, you start working with Derek. What, what's the, 
like, what does the onboarding for you look like? Does, like, does Derek bring you on board and say, Hey, here's your mission, go make it happen. Or, uh, did you, you know, like, what does that look like for you guys when you first started? I think, I think Derek and I are, are really a good fit because, uh, I don't really need, you know, to my own horn, I guess. Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't really need a whole lot of direction. Yeah. I don't really need a whole lot of direction. I just need your vision. Tell me what you want. Right. And give me some lateral limits on, you know, what's good and what's bad. Where do you want to grow? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the focus? And then we can sit down and prioritize how do we get there and build kind of a plan. Right. Cause some things, and I find this too. So this is the the third entrepreneur that I've worked with in this, in this kind of role. And entrepreneurial yeah. mind is always kind of the same thing, right. Is they're chasing shiny objects. Everything needs to be done today. Everything is number one priority. How do we get everything done all at once? Well, the answer yeah. is you don't have the money to do that. Right? <laughs> no. At the end of the day, right? So it, it's about, you know, making the smart decisions in the very beginning. Like what is going to enable the most growth? So I'll take something like uh, when I first started with Derek, one of the first things was the faster we get people out the door, the faster we can start billing. So we need to organize the morning routine. So it was basically, you know, people were walking in when they walked in and trucks were rolling out when they rolled out. And I said, no, we're drawing a line. Everybody needs to be in by 730. Everybody needs to be out the door with all their equipment by 745. Every morning. And if you can't show up on time, you can't work here. If you can't show up to work, you can't work here. You know, those those rules come into place. And then that starts to change the culture and, you know, the feel of the company and the people that want to be there will be there. Yeah. And, and, you know, we were, and Eric's exactly right. And, and I admit it all the time, you know, for me to, to stay focused and, and prioritize, uh, can be a challenge certain, certain days you look at the to-do list and it's a mile long and it never stops growing. Yeah. I've come to terms with the fact that that's always going to be the case. And, you know, that's what we do. We have a lot of, a lot of conversations. We, have conference calls a couple times a week to prioritize, review the list, see where we're at. Um, you know, but things pop up throughout the week that are unexpected and, you know, they then become priority. So, you know, being able to manage that it's, it's, you know, really helped, um, you know, and it's, it's helped me a great deal, uh, allowing me to focus on some of the more important things, uh, to push us, push us forward. So made a lot of progress. It's been, it's been great having, uh, you know, Eric on board and, and we're very like-minded in certain ways, you know, the way that we're thinking and the thought process. So, um, you know, that's a huge help as well. Yeah. The, um, you know, the, the organization as a whole is, is constantly evolving. It's always changing. And I, and I, I tell all the managers all the time too, is you have to get used to living and working in an environment that is evolving and changing, right? You can't fall in love with your plan. And then when it goes South, beat yourself up about it, right? It's, it's always about progress. It's always about moving forward. What's the next decision that's going to get us through the problem. I mean, we sit in a room all day long and talk about the problem, the problem, the problem. Everybody wants to talk about the problem. They'll give you their, their whole two cents on why it's wrong and all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, we just need the result. Right. How do we get to the result? And uh, that that needs to be the the focus, right, for for anything in operations in order for it to be successful. Um, You're burning money by the minute. Yeah, I kind of like that mentality, right? Like, you know, let's focus on how do we get what we want 
or how do how do we accomplish the mission or whatever you know however you want to say it but how do how do we keep moving forward rather than sitting here dissecting what happened or what the problem was yeah you get um it this is not you know it's not just a an, an individual thing right it's it's kind of that everybody takes the disc personality tests and all that kind of stuff right yeah and it technically the makeup and you know a lot of entrepreneurs are of the same mindset right they're very uh very analytical there's they want some data but they also want results sometimes it's hard for them to be able to get there so now it's just about focusing on the result right and the priority that's going to get you to that result so I, you know, one thing I'm really curious about, and I was thinking about this with you, uh, knowing that you're coming on the podcast and, you know, I think a question that a lot of people have about how to, I don't know, uh, let's say like you talk about leadership and, and, and creating teams or not creating teams. My big thing, I think, cause you guys have what, a hundred and how many employees do you have? 120 as of this week's count. Okay. So 120 and you're obviously not managing 120 people. No. So how many people do you manage on a day-to-day basis? Uh, seven, about seven. Seven. Okay. That's, so this is something that I read, you know, and actually it might've been Jocko uh, in his book. Um, <laughs> yeah. What the hell's the name of his book? Not the duality of leadership, but or the economy of leadership, but the other one, extreme ownership. So I think maybe he talked about it. Like you should really only be managing like six or seven people. Right. Well, you know, to Jocko's credit, he's, he's a great man and he's done great things, but he's not the one that invented that. Well, no, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. Just what I was exposed to the idea I, of. I'll go all the way back. I'll go a little bit further. Right? Sun Tzu said that, you know, uh, leadership of many is the same as leadership of a few. It is a matter of division, right? So mm-hmm. how you divide your organization into sections of accountability and place leadership and management in those positions is what is going to make you successful. It's the difference between Derek having to hold 120 people accountable or one. Um, You know, the military, usually it's basic rule of three. Each individual manages three people. So if you break it down to like platoon mentality, right? You have three fire teams in a squad. You have three squads in a platoon. You have three platoons in a company. One platoon, one company commander is in charge of three platoon commanders. Three, each platoon commander is in charge of three squad leaders. Three squad leaders are in charge of three fire team leaders and so on. And the three fire team leaders are in charge of their fire team, which is made up of four members, including themselves. So they're in essence managing three people. And, you know, if you can divide into those rules, it's very easy to be able to hold individuals accountable because you can, you can keep your hands around it. And if right. you get to a point where you can't keep your hands around it, that is an indicator to you, right? And everything is a data point. It's a key indicator to you that, okay, I need somebody else, something else between me and this function in mm-hmm. order to manage it. But at the same time, you have to be comfortable enough to let go of the reins and give it to somebody. Right. Now, when you say that, when you say, beyond, you know, let go of the reins and give it to somebody, what does that mean to you? Because I know what it means to me, <laughs> and I'm wondering if it means the same thing. Well, again, you know, I'll go back to the DISC profile in the situational leadership model, right? So if you're going to give yep. somebody the responsibility, right, and the yep. accountability of a function, then you shouldn't necessarily have to micromanage them. 
right? There should be an onboarding process. You know, there should be a process that you go through to where you're comfortable. You, you feel it out and make sure it's going to fit. You know, that's a, a lot of companies will do, you know, there's a 90 day probation period for this position, you know, to make sure it's a good fit for me, a good fit for you, a good fit for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, it's just about accountability either, you know, but you have to have data points that should support that, right? So you have to have a job description that outlines what needs to be done. You have to have some kind of key performance indicators that say this is good or this is bad. Um, and they're observable and measurable. It can't be about feelings. It's got to be about some kind of data point, numbers, um, something that's quantifiable. And uh, if you can do that, um, it's very easy to hold people accountable because then it's not, it doesn't feel like a personal or emotional thing. It's about, okay, well, you were supposed to get me a hundred of these and you've consistently only gotten me 75. Right. So that's twofold, right? Is the goal attainable and reachable? Is it realistic? Or if so, why is this person not doing it? Are they not in the right seat? Right. And then it becomes, well, what do they bring to the team? Can I use them somewhere else? Or is it just not a good fit for the company? And you make mm-hmm. your decision. I like that. I like the observable and measurable for the KPIs. Again, I, I did not, uh, I did not invent that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, uh, you know, there's um, one of the entrepreneurial uh, things that I used in my last uh, endeavor was a book called Traction. Yeah, I, I love Traction. Gina right. Whitman. You've read that too? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've read that book probably a dozen times, man. So I, in my last, so I'll, I'll speak some traction, speak to you then. So you understand yeah. it in my last role, I, I filled the position of integrator, right? Yeah. I was integrator, chief operating officer for a group of companies. Uh, and we did just that. We implemented the complete traction plan, right? We came up with the, you know, the, the two year, the five year, the 10 year vision. Yeah. Um, we went through the people analyzer. We created the positions, we created the processes and functions, we created the, the key performance indicators, and we tracked it all down. We were able to take a business from $4 million to $12 million in the space of three years. Um, awesome. Just by operating, um, you know, in that entrepreneurial business mindset model. So it's, it's very effective. I'm old enough to remember when integrators were called implementers. Right. And I don't know when that changed because I remember so recently I was at a talk and it was an EOS person and they were talking about traction and, and they're like, oh, I'm the integrator. And I was like, integrator? I'm like, no, it's implementer. And then I went back and I'm like, oh, man, now that, that is called integrator. I'm like, but it used to be implement. I mean, I think I still have like old binders from like 15 years ago uh, and it still says implementer. So I thought that was funny. But yeah, you know, some some copyright lawyer probably has a win on his belt because of that. Yes. Yes, exactly. But great stuff. Uh, have you, he, he's got a, a, another book. There's uh let's see, there was traction and then another one. Jet fuel. Jet fuel. I have not read jet fuel yet, but I heard it's amazing. Yeah. I have, I have a copy of that as well. We used, we utilized all that stuff. That's great. That's amazing. We talked so, about that actually came up in the last uh, episode and Mike texted me uh, um, later that day and said, I can't believe you haven't read that book. Traction. So it's on my list. Yeah. yeah, you'll you love it. You love it. Um, I actually and the audio book. I've listened to that probably a good dozen times too. I love the audio book version. It's well done. It's well done. Um, there, was a, there, was a, there was a big following for it in LA. So actually, the owner um, of the company he was involved in a in a working group where they met every week. 
mm-hmm. and they went over their plans and they all kind of, you know, spitballed together. What are you guys doing? What is your integrator doing? Um, and it was good too for a network because, uh, you know, for as much as possible, not everybody has that skill set, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's something that that either you got it or you don't, and it even says it in the book, right? Your integrator, you have to figure out if they're a good fit with you personally, right? And and they're gonna they're gonna do what what needs to be done accountability wise. Um, so it also started to build a network of more integrators and people with that that kind of mindset and skill set. Yeah, well, it's funny because when you first started talking about what you do with Derek. Uh, that's all I kept hearing in my head was just like, oh, my God. I'm like, he's hundred percent. He's Derek's implementer or well, integrator. Uh, you know, like he's, he's taking that vision and making, making it happen. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah Eric's really, uh, you know, and it was tough for me too. Um, at first because you, you, you know, you have that period of time where you, you know, you kind of go through everything and, um, do some of the onboarding and training and, you know, make sure it's a, a good fit. And, you know, uh, over time, you know, you start to work on different projects and see the the like-mindedness and, you know, you, you gain that trust. And, you know, for me, it was always, I'd have my hands and everything, you know, that was just my, uh, your comfort zone, my comfort zone. Yeah. And, and honestly, over the last year, I've been more uncomfortable than I've been in 13 years, um, to be honest with you. And, it, but I had to do it. Um, at some point, you know, for the sake of all of our staff and, and employees, so everybody can keep growing, yeah. but, uh, it wasn't, it, it, it was a little bit of a challenge, but Eric's done a great job and, you know, has, uh, helped me feel more comfortable with that. So. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. So Eric, uh, to kind of back up again, uh, over to, you know, breaking down to how many people you're managing a day and, and the, and the structure for that. So you had said, you know, you're about seven people. Um, and now you have, you do other things than just manage those seven people. Is that correct? Uh, I do basically whatever needs to be done. Um, so again, it's, it's all situation. Uh, very heavy on the emails, uh, very heavy, you know, data wise, um, looking at, planner emails phone calls more emails uh <laughs> checking checking the books checking all that stuff to make sure that you know things are lining up and having conversations um a lot of engagement you know just in leadership kind of mentoring um the managers and things like that um i never i'm not a, i'm not a micromanager right i'm not going to tell them necessarily what to do there are instances where i'll go in and be like this needs to be done this way make it happen um but typically, you know, I'll give advice. I'll ask them to talk me through the situation. Um, and then I'll say, well, if it was me, I would probably do this. Right. But give it a try. See what happens, right? But at yeah. the end of the day, um, it, you know, we want to avoid also the the deflective blaming, right, that comes with accountability. So when you say, hey, you know, this didn't go right, the the quick retort from from your manager that your your subordinate manager is, oh, well, I just did what you told me to do, mm-hmm. right? So where's the accountability in that if you're micromanaging, if you're telling people exactly what needs to be done and how to do it, who's really accountable for it? Well, so, you're not hiring anyone to do anything either, so it's, it's yeah. And, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, these are you put people in positions to succeed or fail. And at the same time, it's just them being able to sharpen their tools from a leadership standpoint. Right. Yeah. You have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
you have yeah. to learn, you have to grow, you have to push yourself. You know, we just basically provide them the opportunity. Show us what you got. Either you're going to succeed or you're going to fail. We'll, we'll pick you up and dust you off and put you back out there. You know, and uh, if you succeed, great. What did you learn from it? How do we do it differently next time? Or do we do it exactly the same? If we do it exactly the same, let's write a process about it. This is how we should do it every time we do it. That's great. What, um, when you look at the people that you're measuring now, right? Or that you're measuring, that you're managing now, what do you think, the, well, and not even the people that you're managing, but just in this role that you're, you're in, what, what do you think the biggest challenge is that you see on a day-to-day basis? Uh, that's a, that's really a loaded question because it changes from day to day. Right. Uh, Derek, Derek's the biggest challenge you see. (laughs) I really, you know, I really enjoy working with Derek because he's, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's of humble mind kind of, you know what I mean? It's, it's, he's open. The the most difficult thing as an integrator is to work with an entrepreneur that doesn't want to let go. It's like, you know, just be asking yourself the whole time. Why am I here? If we're just going to do everything your way, that's fine. I can just sit back and you can pay me. Right. But, you know, if you really want to make an effect change, you have to be willing to let go of that. But back to, you know, just the the subordinate managers. And I find this with kind of mid-level managers um, and maybe you guys can understand as well. But really the thing that gets in in the way of people being able to develop and get past a certain line in management and professionalism is defensiveness, right? Yeah. And, and this is a big thing in operations because everything is not always going to go perfectly. Things are going to fail. Things are going to go wrong. And if you're defensive because your plan didn't work or you feel like you have to take on the brunt of it um, and you get defensive about it, you know, you're not really going to be able to get to that next level. You got to be like, okay. Well, this went wrong. Let me figure out. Let me dig in. Let me find out what I can do better. And let me implement that and move in the right direction and then move on to the next thing. Hmm. Okay. So it's not. Kind of along those lines, Mike, I I wanted to, uh, one thing I did want to bring up and, you know, we've heard a lot of our uh, former guests um, talk about, you know, the, the hiring, um, issue right now and, you know, not being able to find help and find people. And, you know, we've made a lot of changes over the last couple of years, um, to help with that. And, you know, I'll let Eric talk a little bit more on that, but, you know, the the people are out there, but, you know, once you, it's about finding the right fit. And then once you, once you find that fit, you know, keeping them around and equipping them with the skills that they need to be successful. Um, Mm -hmm. But I'll let Eric talk to some of the programs that we've built and put in place, and it's really helped us uh, retain good people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Tell us a little bit about that, Eric. So, you know, first things first is you have to have a real – you have to have real job descriptions. You got to be able – you're going to tell people what you want them to do for you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you should outline that. Take the time to outline it in a professional manner, right? So, one, you give a good – you give the right impression of your company. And two, you're given clear direction to this is what I need for my company. Um, that That's the first step, right? You have to have, you know, organized job descriptions. Uh, mm-hmm. The second part of that is if you want to protect your culture for your company, the culture that you're creating, 
is yes, you're looking to hire, but you're also looking to disqualify people that don't fit. And what are those criteria for people that don't fit? So I would say an example would be if you have somebody that's applying for an administrative position, right? Um, mm -hmm. But in their emails and their resumes, there's typo and the formatting doesn't look right. How how strong are they administratively? Right? right. So you kind of see those things. These are, again, it's a data point. It's an indicator. This is what you're going to inherit. Now, what is acceptable to you? Is that okay? Is it an immediate fill? You know, is the personality there? Is it trainable? Is the basics of the skill set there? You know, that comes through the interview process and sitting down and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but you have to have criteria um, to disqualify the massive amounts of candidates that you get. So we live in a world today that's driven by technology. And um, it's very easy to apply for jobs, right? Click here, click here, click here. Like all day long, you do it. ZipRecruiter, Indeed. Uh, we're using Workstream now. Um, it's very easy to apply for jobs. And then you got somebody that's sitting at a computer going through all these applicants. Right? So you may have one position that's open, but you may get 120 candidates. How do right. you filter that down to something that's usable? Um, because you can't waste all your time sitting in a room doing 30-minute interviews with 120 people. Yeah, you got, you got to whittle it down into something that's all right. Give me the top 10. Give me the top five. Let me have a phone conversation with them. Let's make sure that, you know, one. Hey, I want you to call me at 1 p.m. They don't call at 1 p.m. That's, again, an indicator if they can be on time. If, if this is important to them, if they need a job, it will be a priority and they will be on time. So it's not necessarily it's not always getting a lack of candidates. It's making sure that you're getting the right candidates right that's awesome yeah, so for anybody going out on their on their own for the first time or i mean I, I would definitely recommend doing that it's helped us greatly you know and then the, the other piece of that is the the training side of it too you bring somebody on and hand them a piece of paper it's a little bit different than actually having an experienced uh veteran in your organization walk them through what they're going to be doing on a daily basis so they have a good understanding of it and we've noticed a lot of the people that we've brought on, once they go through that program, they feel more comfortable. They're, they have reassurance. They know the company is going to support them and they stick around. Yeah. yeah. So that we, we instituted that as part of our onboarding program. We created the Dangle Cleaning Academy. Right? So we use uh, one of our large facilities as our as our testing grounds. Mm -hmm. where we do not only a classroom, right? You have to do the knowledge-based training, but also the practical application of that training. And it's signed off by the uh, the instructor, the supervisor. So it's observed, it's measured, it's signed off. This employee is now trained, is now ready to go out into the field, and they're assigned a manager and an account. That's awesome. But again, this also costs time and money. Right. So it's not something that's going to be done for free. You're going to be bringing people into your company. You're going to be paying them to train them and what you want them to do. And then you're going to put them out in the field. That's great. Um, guys, I know we're about to run out of time here. Um, any, any last thoughts to leave our listeners with? On um, scalability? I guess, you know, just advice that I would give to any entrepreneur that, that is looking to to grow their organization, right, is be patient, pick what you're good at and stick with it, right, and prioritize. 
And uh, if all else fails, if you bring in somebody else that can see things that you can't see, there's value there. Hmm. Very nice. Eric, thanks so so much for joining us. Uh, sorry for the technical difficulties and stuff. Really appreciate your insights uh, and everything that you gave us today. It was great. Yeah, it's awesome. We'll have to uh, we'll have to get him back on here one of these days since we we got Eric out of his comfort zone today. So that was uh, yeah, kind of the next time we we'll get him funny. on. That's right. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the invite and I appreciate the uh, the time that you guys are taking to do this. It's definitely uh, it's definitely important for the youth uh, to realize that you can still work a blue collar job and be successful. Be very successful, absolutely. Well, thanks again, guys, for joining us. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, don't forget to check out our Blue Collar Blueprint at bluecollarstartup.io. And uh, one more time, just a big thank you to Luke Michaels and the Michaels Group for their support. And uh, tune in next time, everybody. Thanks again.